oh, how I love Jesus, oh, how I love Jesus, because he first loved me. Back when I was uh, a student at Oklahoma Christian uh, University, we used to always joke that the Bible building uh, was the coldest building on campus for one of two reasons, and we never knew which one it was. Either it was to make sure that everyone dressed very modestly, or that it made it really hard to fall asleep in their lectures. Uh, I don't know. So I don't know what it says about us that it's 80 degrees in here today. Um, But here we go. I'll try and at least keep you awake. Uh, several weeks ago, we started our, our, this series on faith at home and really focusing on how God intends for the family to be the primary source of disciple-making, uh, that faith should be passed from generation to generation, from parent to child. And, and not, you know, we don't love our kids so that they'll love us back. We love our kids so that they'll love their kids and their kids after that. That there's this forward movement of love and faith in the family. That that's part of God's design. And we talked about how important it is to pass faith on as we're going and listening to music in the car and laying down in bed in the evening and in all the different moments of life that that life happens. God gives parents opportunities to to demonstrate faith to kids, to talk to them about it, to do it with them. Uh, Several weeks ago, we, we passed out these Uh, Faith at Home appraisals. If you've not filled yours out yet, I think we have more over at the the Home Point Center in the South Foyer. Uh, We're asking that those get turned in today. Uh, That's going to help us uh, as a ministry team, a family ministry team, uh, to really see what the needs are of the congregation and develop ministry uh, specifically towards needs. It keeps us from guessing what you're bad at to finding what you want to grow in, uh, which is a much better way we think of doing that. Uh, This is our last week on Faith at Home, specifically. Uh, Next week, we're starting uh, our journey through the book of Luke and Acts. And so today, as you're leaving, you're going to get a bookmark uh, from one of our kids. We're going to be handing these out at each one of the doors. Uh, It's uh, five days a week. You read about 80 verses of Luke uh, or Acts. And we're going to go all the way through those two books that represent the largest piece of literature from the New Testament. Uh, And we're going to read it as a church. Uh, All of our sermons, uh, morning and evening, for the next six weeks, will come out of the previous week's readings. Uh, So if you want to know what the sermon's going to be about in advance, just read along. Uh, It'll come out of those those texts. And I think it's going to be a great opportunity for us to lead up towards uh, our Easter Sunday and celebration of that event uh, as we think about what difference Jesus makes in the world and in the church today. Uh, So be sure and get that. Start reading tomorrow uh, and be looking for that. Um, Carter yesterday uh, read the first day's reading in six and a half minutes. So there you go. It's not even that much time. Uh, he can read it. You can read it. It'll be, it'll be great. So we'll be looking for that today. Uh, but today, uh, we're talking about how we as families, as a church family, as families in our home, can raise children to be spiritual champions. How do we raise our kids to have an incredible amount of spiritual maturity and faith as they, when they grow into adults? And this is a different question than we normally ask. The question we normally ask is this, how do we raise our kids so that they will get saved and go to heaven someday? Uh, Or how do we raise our kids so that when they're 30, they're still in the church? Uh, This, I think, is a more difficult question. 
This is advanced spiritual parenting 101. We're skipping past the basics. This is advanced stuff. And the question we're asking today is how do we spiritually form our kids? How do we connect with them and raise them up to be like Jesus, to be spirit-filled people? And I think there's three images that we often use when it comes to thinking about uh, what it means to, to pass faith to our kids. Uh, the first one of those is the assembly line. Uh, we get this baby and it is just our raw materials. And we're going to take this baby and try and form it and make it through the process of all the years to come out a wonderful finished product at the end of the line. So that by the time we're done with them, uh, they're ready to go. Uh, the second image is the image uh, of a greenhouse where we just plant the seeds and trying to create the environment and we just see what, what happens uh, at the end of it. The third one is obviously the one that I'm going to be recommending today, is the idea of a journey. Children are spiritual beings, themselves made in the image of God. They're not raw material. God has already placed his very image on them. He's filled them with, with spirituality and personality and all the things that make every child unique and, and individual. And then what we as parents are doing is seeking to walk with them in the shared journey of growth and discipleship. And the difference is maybe subtle, but I think it's significant. When we imagine the assembly line or the greenhouse, developing faith is something we do to our kids or for our kids. We, we smash them over the head with faith, or we try and bait them into it, or we try and do it on their behalf. If I can just be faithful enough that they'll catch it, contagious faith maybe, um, it's to them or for them. But when we think about a journey of discipleship, developing faith is something we do with our kids. We do it alongside them. We do it in the Deuteronomy 6 way of as we're going along the road or lying down or getting up. In this moment and every moment, we're doing faith and discipleship and spiritual formation with our kids. And the other advantage of the journey image is that we have a great model for what this kind of spiritual formation looks like. When we talk about uh, the, the journey model, we look to the ministry of Jesus. This is Jesus' primary model for how he's trying to pass faith to the disciples and apostles who are traveling with him. Jesus has three years to take these apostles, these fishermen, these tax collectors, the zealot, this group of kind of ragtag guys, none of whom appear to have any interest in being a rabbi. And he takes them and he says, come with me, be my disciples. I'll teach you how to fish for men and people and, and to pass faith to others. But first I have to pass faith to you. And what he doesn't do is say, uh, so please open your Torah scrolls to Deuteronomy chapter anything. We're going to sit down and have three years of advanced Torah education so that at the end of it, you're ready to pass any exam that anyone could give you. You'll be the best and brightest in the land. He doesn't do that. They don't go to a classroom. Jesus just says, come on, come with me. We're going to start a journey. You're going to watch me do this. You're going to see the miracles I perform, and then eventually you're going to perform them yourselves. You're going to hear the sermons I give, and then eventually you're going to preach these sermons yourselves. You're going to see the type of people that I welcome and love and show kindness to. I'm not going to tell you to do it. I'm going to show you how I do it and invite you to join me so that when I'm gone, you'll keep doing it. It's discipleship. 
It's a journey. He teaches them as they were going. And so the Jesus model of discipleship is, is this. It's first I do it because it's just what I do. The, the work that I'm doing is in me, and so I'm going to do it whether you're here or not. I'm not just doing it to, as, a, as a poser. I'm not putting this on as a costume. I'm doing it because it is in me to do what God wants done. And the second step is this, that I say to the apostles, come with me. As a parent, you say to your children, watch me. I do. I do while you watch. I do while you watch. Uh, most of us think that you start teaching your kid to drive when they're 15 and a half, right? That's when they get their permit and you have to start teaching them to drive. You start teaching your kid to drive the first time you buckle them into a car. I was on my driving test uh, and the, the instructor, the guy, the guy who was, I guess, evaluating me to see if I would pass the test, we're about to pull out and he says, let me give you a piece of advice. I said, okay. He says, however your parents drive. I said, yeah, don't do that. What? He says, they've earned their bad habits. You haven't. You need to check those at the door. You start teaching your kids in the way that you do. I do while you watch is a teaching discipleship approach. When I interact with strangers, I'm teaching my kids how to interact with strangers. I don't have to tell them, uh, hey, this is how we interact with strangers. And the second one is this. Uh, I do and you do with me. We do it together. So after your kids have been watching you for a while, and this is actually built into our driving process, when they get a permit, they've got to have an adult sitting next to them for a certain amount of time. We do. And then you get to, you do, I watch. Uh, this is the way of teaching in Jesus' ministry. He, he gets to a point of, yeah, we're going to do this together, and then there's going to be times when I send you out to do it without me. And after I send you out to do it without me, there's going to be times that, that I'm preparing you for a time when I'm not going to be here anymore, and you're going to do it on your own. Fortunately, Jesus promises the Spirit to give us what we need in those moments. But even in, with that being the case, when it comes to raising our kids, we look to this model of Jesus' ministry, of this journey idea. And we see that Jesus only has three years. And when we think about parents, what we have, you know, parents, we get 18 years, right? I was thinking about this earlier this week. You had 18 years, but then you can go ahead and subtract the years before they can talk. Because how much can you really teach them if they can't talk? And then you subtract the years where they quit listening. <laughs> and then you subtract the years they spend at school and other places. And then the years that they spend sleeping and the years that they spend uh, watching TV. And I feel like once we do all that, we probably get three years too, right? So we've got the same amount of time to give faith to our kids that Jesus had. We look to his example, and we watch what he does, and we see how he does it, and it's not in classrooms. And it's unfortunate that when we think about what it means to do children's and youth ministry today, that what we think is classroom, because Jesus didn't. When Jesus thought, how am I going to pass faith to these, these apostles and disciples so that they can pass faith to the rest of the world, he doesn't put them in a classroom, he takes them on the road and he takes them into the city, and he goes where people are, and he loves people, and he teaches people, and he heals people, and he does all kinds of incredible things. And all of those things are so that they could learn to do what he did when he wasn't there, that they could live forward his faith, his life, his legacy. That's the Jesus plan for spiritual formation. But we also have to know that it's not just information and skills development. 
okay? It's not just teaching what the Bible says and how to put it into practice. We can do information and skills development, uh, but you look at Luke 10, verses 25 through 28. One of the uh, Pharisees comes up when he sees the Sadducees have been unable to stump Jesus, and he comes up and he's trying to trick Jesus. And he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. Heart, mind, strength, soul. Love God with all your heart, your emotions, your passions, the personal side of your life, with all your mind, the academic side, the knowledge side, with all of that which is placed in you in terms of information and data. Love God with that. Engage God with the life of the mind. With all your strength, with your body and all the energy that God gives you, go and actively show God's love through your energy being enacted in the things you do to love God and love others. And with all your soul, this invitation to love God in a spiritual way, not just words, not just emotions, but in a soul-filled, spiritual, all-of-you kind of way, that your whole self, including the, the parts of you that aren't physical and can't be found in a physical exam, that it includes that, but it encompasses your spirit, your mind, your heart. It's all there, that you love God with all of this. Jesus is, is not only discipling these men as he's going through his ministry, he's also trying to teach them that it's not just about knowledge and skills, it's about loving God in all of these different ways. And one of the things I've come to really appreciate about this passage uh, is that it really fits well alongside newer theories of spiritual formation. Um, there's a guy named Urban Holmes who wrote The History of Christian Spirituality, and he studied uh, how Christians have practiced spirituality and living the life uh, of a spirit-filled life and how they're growing up and growing more into Christ-likeness and more into the people God wants them to be. And what he's found uh, is that there's uh, two axes, and I won't get too technical here, um, but if you're over on this side of the quadrants, you tend to experience God in a more mysterious way that God is other, God is bigger, God is mysterious. You can't just say uh, God is exactly this. You can't put God in a box. And, and over on this side is the idea that God is knowable, that we meet him in scripture and we engage with him relationally. And, and I know God. And, and there's scriptures to give us examples of how God functions in both of those ways. And God's people engage with him in both of those ways. And, and up on the top axis is the idea of rationality. Of, of thought and of thinking and of processing through things. And, and on the bottom side is the idea of emotion, of heart stuff. And, and what ends up happening in Christian spirituality is you end up with four different quadrants and they're quadrants that exist in, in all of us and how we encounter and experience God and how God seeks to grow up and shape and form each one of us. And so if you're in the top right, you're a thinking kind of spirituality person. You enjoy Bible study and classes, reading the Bible. You like good preaching. You're my people. Welcome to church. If you're emotional and relational, these are more praise and worship. They enjoy sharing testimonies, small groups where you get to know people and share your stories and, and exchange feelings. 
Uh, this is weird spiritual people like my wife. Uh, Leah kind of really practices this kind of spirituality. She most experiences God when she's in a group of people who are singing passionately for long periods of time. Incredible worship is where, where Leah encounters God. But if you're on the mysterious side, but you're still a rational person, you experience God through social justice and through acts of compassion and mission and service. And what you see is that, that God is in the face of the one who is the least of these. And you experience Jesus when you go serve the poor and the hungry and the naked and the ones who are underrepresented. And you give a voice to the voiceless and you think this is who God is, is loving the least of these. And then if you're in the bottom side, you're the... You, you're like, man, I'll tell you where I experience God. It's in the woods with no one else around. It's in a quiet room where I can pray. It's in a place where I can go and withdraw. I experience God more when I'm fasting and when I'm in my prayer journal and when I'm doing these disciplines of spirituality that allow me to be shaped into the image of Jesus Christ through these practices of disengagement. And they're different. They're different. And there's times that Jesus engages with the apostles in all of these different areas. They're worshiping him right before he ascends. He tells Legion. Legion says, listen, Jesus, let me go and be your disciple and learn from you. And he says, no, uh, you go and tell everyone that you know your story. Give them your testimony. Tell them what God has done for you. He sends them on mission, but it's a mission of sharing a personal story. There's times that he takes the apostles and the disciples and he sends them out to go and do healings and to teach lessons. There's times that he withdraws to the mountainside to pray, sometimes with them and sometimes by himself. But in every one of those moments, teaching them, these are the ways that I encounter God and the ways that you should encounter God. Uh, today at the, the parent workshop, we're going to be kind of using this as a foundation to talk about what does it look like for us to use these different quadrants of spirituality to shape and form our kids at home. Churches and families and individuals tend to pick one of these and park there to the neglect of the others. That one of them becomes the way that you orient yourself and you, you do all of your kind of practices and, and that you become out of balance. You come out of, of balance with where God wants you to be. Uh, you're not a well-shaped, this is like if you only eat fruit. It's good for a while, but it's going to get bad. If you only eat meat, it's good for a while, but you need more. You know in your body that you need a well-balanced diet. Your spirit needs a well-balanced diet of spiritual formation using all the tools and all of the different ways that God intended for us to connect with him and for him to be shaping us. So we're going to give our parents conversations and tools and resources and challenges to pick one of these that you're not good at and do them at your home, especially if, if you've got a kid that wants to encounter God in silence and solitude and all you want to do is Bible study, you're missing them. You're missing them. Give them what they lack, but also meet them where they are. We've got a choice when it comes to, to not just raising our kids, but when it comes to raising our own spiritual maturity. You can use one tool. You can use zero tools. But why do that if you can use four? Why put, if God wants four tools in his hand to shape you as the potter shapes the clay, why give him one when he could do so much more with four? Are you willing to let the Spirit do the work of shaping you and molding you into who God desires you to be? I want to go into the text, uh, Mark chapter 6. 
Mark chapter 6 is, it gives us several days from the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to look at a rather lengthy text. But I want you to really see what this is like for the apostles as they spend time on the journey with Jesus. And see how intentionally and yet effortlessly Jesus is doing this with the disciples. Uh, Mark chapter 6, starting partway through verse 6, it says, Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. Calling the twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. If any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. They went out. And preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. It starts with Jesus going from village to village and teaching. And he takes the apostles with him and he says, watch what I'm doing. Do it with me. And he says, now you go do it on your own without me, but come back. We're going to have a a processing meeting at the end of this. and We're going to get together. We're going to talk about how it went. And and he picks up there, we're going to skip over a little bit and get to verse 30. And it says, the apostles gathered around Jesus after their mission trips had been completed and they came back to give a report. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. But then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. You know, it would have been easy for him to say, look, more people, keep doing mission, keep teaching, keep doing everything that I told you to do. But he wants to model to them. After a period of mission and after a period of preaching, come rest a little. Get recharged. Let's eat and let's talk about what you've done. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than than half a year's wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, how many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. A crowd of thousands, by the way. The, The amount of loaves that it would take to feed it would mean that they would have wagon carts and wagon carts of loaves. And so when Jesus says, uh, go do inventory, Maybe you have several carts of loaves of bread that you just haven't noticed out here on the plain. They go and see. At no point does one of them say, don't you think that maybe that the the one who sent us out to perform miracles and drive out demons and perform healings will also give us the power to deal with this logistics food problem? None of them said it. They just went and counted loaves, came back, gave him a count. How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. And when he found out They said five and two fish. 
Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And taking the five loaves and two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, broke the loaves, gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him while he dismissed the crowd. And after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. They get the loaves and the fish and they bring it to Jesus and he prays to God with eyes lifted to heaven saying, this isn't of me, this is of God, and, and he serves the people, and the bread keeps going out, and the fish keep going out, and this is happening, and they can't believe it. And at the end of it, because Jesus is teaching them all along the journey, each one of them gets to carry back a basket full with more food in it than they started with. You, want, you think that's a teaching moment? Everyone just ate, and we have more than we started with in each one of our 12 baskets. Jesus intends for this to be the final teaching moment that they need to understand that this man is special. He is of God. He is from God. He reveals God to us, and he shows us that, that through him and with him, we can do anything. The lesson of the loaves is that if you can drive out demons when Jesus isn't there and with him when he challenges you to do something, just believe he'll give you everything you need to do it. And he sends them out in the water. And in the next passage that we're not going to read through, uh, the waves start coming up and the wind is blowing and they're getting afraid on the water and Jesus starts to walk by the boat and they see him and they think it's a ghost and they're terrified. And Jesus gets in the boat and suddenly it's calm. Wind's calm, waves calm, waters are still. And they were amazed. They were amazed. For they had not understood about the loaves. They were amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Jesus calms the waves and the winds and the seas and the storms and gets in the boat, and they're just kind of going, Jesus, that's incredible. And Jesus says, no, it really shouldn't be. They said, Jesus, this is shocking. And he says, still? It's still shocking? Didn't you get it when I sent you out into the towns and villages? Didn't you get it when I, I told you to feed the people and you couldn't when I did it anyways and you brought back the loaves? Why haven't you learned the lesson of the loaves? Because their hearts were hardened. But don't you see that in the, in the sending and in the serving of the food and in the calming of the storm, Jesus is teaching them and he's shaping them. And in this journey over and over again, he's hoping they get the lesson of the loaves. Mark wants you to see this is all connected and part of Jesus' way of passing faith to his apostles and his disciples so that when he's not there, they'll still live his kind of faith and confidence forward. That's the way. That's the journey. He did not, they did not understand the lesson of the loaves. Uh, there's an author and speaker, Jordan Peterson, who's talked about the importance of making knowledge real. And, and here's what he says. If you want to make knowledge real, for knowledge to be yours, you have to integrate it with your own experience and then have a story that's personal. This is the power of this journey image of parenting and passing faith to kids. It's not factual. 
It's not learning-based. What it is, is it's saying, I'm going to give you the knowledge, but I'm also going to, as we are going in the car and at home and on the road, when you're at school, come tell me about what happened at school, and we're gonna take your experience and make it fit knowledge. It has to be real to you, and you have to own it, and it's only then that it becomes your real, earned, owned knowledge. And it becomes part of you. It becomes embedded within you. Because if you don't have that, the alternative is this, that all you are is an empty shell carrying around somebody else's knowledge and ideas. That's the best you can be. And the problem is that if you're an empty shell that's carrying around other people's good ideas or bad ideas, at any point you can dump those out and take on someone else's ideas as your own. It's easy. But what faithful discipleship does, what this Jesus model of raising kids looks like, is I'm going to give you knowledge and experience so that you become transformed by it and changed into what you've learned. Because we've done the work along the way to shape you. This week, when I came across this, I thought, that's exactly what I need to do to my kids. You may have heard it. That was the wrong idea. I don't need to do this to my kids. If I understand the Jesus model of I do, I do, you watch, we do, you do, I watch, you do. Who needs to do this? Me. What I need is to take my faith and do the work of taking on my own spiritual maturity. What I need is to do the work of making my knowledge added to experience become real in me because if I do that, then I actually have a faith that is worth passing to my kids. And my kids are gonna see it and my kids are gonna know it and they're going to come alongside me because I'm gonna invite them to go. As I have started to make my experience and my knowledge become real in me and to me, I hope that you learn how to do it in you too. That's the journey way, the Jesus way of passing faith to kids. This afternoon at the, the parent workshop, this is what we're doing. This is, this is the water we're gonna be swimming in, the conversations we're gonna be having. How do we use discipleship and spiritual formation and making sure that our kids aren't empty shells with our ideas or anybody else's? How do we make it stick? How do we make it part of their makeup as spirit beings that they need to love God with all their heart, mind, body, and soul? You know, parenting isn't always, always easy. Even Jesus, in his three years with his disciples, gets to the end of it, and he gets the three that are the closest to him, and he says, Peter, James, and John, just come with me and pray. You've been with me all along this journey, and it's coming to an end. It's hours before his arrest. He says, just come pray with me. I'm suffering. And they went with him, and in this important moment, they fell asleep. And Jesus is so frustrated. And you have to know that not only is he frustrated that they're falling asleep in the moment that he needs them the most. And if you're warm and falling asleep, this is Jesus calling you to wake up right now too. He's disappointed, not just because they fell asleep when he asked him to pray, but because he's, he has to be worried. When I'm gone, have I given them enough to continue without me? Because in this moment, they came up short. And in the next hours, when Jesus is arrested and they scatter and they, they respond with fear and not faith and in the days that come as they struggle to figure out what to do before the women find Jesus at the tomb and, and go and become the first missionaries to the apostles saying, no, what he said is true, he's alive. In that gap, they come up short. 
And parenting has those moments too. Parenting has moments of success and moments of difficulty, challenges, joy, agony, suffering. Jesus gets all that. He didn't have kids, but Jesus had the difficult task of passing faith to his followers, which is what we're talking about. And he experienced that frustration, that agony. But the joy and the challenge, the blessing that comes from passing faith to the next ones. He got that. I'll tell you, uh, Thursday morning, Dwayne, this is, this is my story now, in the car. In the car is where faith happens today, by the way. Um, most of the some of the most important conversations I've had with my kids have been through a rearview mirror. And this is one of them. Um, Harper says... Uh, she was in a talking mood. I didn't even turn the radio on Thursday because she was just going to talk over it no matter what. So I just left it off, and she took center stage. And, and at one point, she says, Dad, I love Carter all the way to space. She says, Dad, I love Mackenzie all the way to space. I said, Harper, I love that. She goes, Dad, I love everybody all the way to space. I said, Harper, I love your heart. I love the way that you love people. You're just so good at loving people. And here's what she said. She said, Dad, it's not me. It's God. And I don't, I don't know what that means to four-year-old her. But man, it meant the world to me. And I started thinking, that's right. I'm going to teach a parent workshop. I'm qualified. <laughs> And then I got greedy. I said, Harper, what else do you know? I thought, I want more material. And she says, Dad, I know that dragons can't knock down brick houses because brick houses are strong. <laughs> I thought, oh, it's a journey, okay? It's a journey. And it is, and it's filled with victories. What a victory. And it's filled with goofiness, and it's filled with challenges, and it's filled with all the stuff that you guys know comes with parenting. And you've got to know that God loves your kids more than you do, and it's by the power of the Spirit that they're saved and not by your power. I'm not telling you you're in charge, but I'm telling you that God wants to empower you to be the primary disciple makers of your kid. That's the conversation. And when you have bad parents that can't do it, he calls the church to step in with prayer champions and step in with Bible class teachers and step in with, with youth and children's ministers and other people that love on the kids that need it. We're going to do what families can't, but we're not going to give families an excuse to not do what God called them to do. I hope you're coming to the workshop today. You're not an assembly line. You're not a greenhouse. Your challenge as a parent is to be like the Apostle Paul, who also didn't have kids, but who said to people that he wanted to be faithful. Look, just follow me and come along. Come with me while I keep trying to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow Jesus. Just follow me on the way. I hope that you walk with Jesus. I hope that you walk with your kids. And I hope that if you ever made the decision to become a Christian, to be baptized, to be saved, to make a commitment, to be part of a church family that's going to put you to work, that you're going to be a part of, and it's going to be part of doing the kingdom stuff of life, because we're all on a journey. Do it this morning as we stand and sing. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart, in my heart. Lord, I want to be a Christian in my heart.